The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Prodigy, Dreamcatcher. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook, where we're at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. Retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and be sure to leave comments wherever you find us. Stick around to the end of the show, because we're going to have your feedback that uh, is on our first several episodes of Prodigy. So we uh, we have some excellent feedback there. And I also want to tell you about another show that on the StarQuest Network that you will definitely enjoy called Secrets of Stargate. Uh, this awesome uh, pr- franchise, it's got several uh, shows that's part of it, uh, 10 series of SG-1, four, seven series, I forget, uh, seasons of, of uh, Atlantis and one all too short season of Universe <laughs> and whatever else is involved. Couple. Uh, you, a couple. And you can check it out. It's just getting started on our network and it's been really good. Uh, definitely you should check it out. It's at wherever you find fine podcasts or at sqpn.com slash Stargate. But this time we're talking about Star Trek Prodigy and this latest episode called Dreamcatcher. Jimmy, could you give us a recap of this episode? This time, Hologram Janeway has been training the crew in how to actually run the Protostar. They come across an uninhabited planet in the Herogen system, and Janeway insists that they investigate as part of their Starfleet space cadet training. When they get to the planet, the ragtag crew separates, and they each encounter what are pretty easy to spot as illusions of some of their deepest desires. Jankum Pog finds a pot of stew. Rock Talk finds a tribe of super cute living Furby toys. Zero encounters a mystery uh, to engage his mind, and Dal encounters an illusion of his parents who he can't even remember. It turns out that the planet is a giant telepathic superorganism that creates illusions of its prey's desires in order to keep them still long enough to grab them with its tendril-like vines and start digesting them. The kids figure this out on their own and head back to the Protostar in a space dune buggy they have called the Runaway. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Gwen has escaped from the brig, reprogrammed Janeway, and is about to take off and ditch everybody. But when she tries to take off, it turns out uh, vines are holding the ship down. She goes outside to cut them off, and she encounters an illusion of her father, but quickly realizes it isn't him. As the rest of the gang is racing back to the ship, she she starts to take off, but the vines are hanging on so tight that they force an emergency engine shutdown, causing the ship to crash. Gwen jettisons to safety, but when Dal and the gang arrive, they declare that she's stranded them all, giving us our first dramatic cliffhanger ending, the end. <laughs> so I got to say, this episode kind of, the well, the way it ended kind of took me by surprise a little bit. I mean, we've gone right to ship deprivation ship separation in the third episode 
Yeah, although there's a much larger issue of that really is seriously affecting this series that we need to talk about urgently. Oh. Um, it is the opening credits. Uh, if you time them out, the opening credits are a minute and 40 seconds long. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's another full minute of closing credits. That's two two minutes, 40 seconds of credits per episode. These credits are out of control. We need to have an intervention. When do you think you're making this program? Today, credits are like five seconds long, not two and two more than two and a half minutes. This is ridiculous. Someone has a credit addiction. Insert the meme of that that, that guy from New York who ran on the rent is too darn high. Well, here will be Jimmy. The credits are too darn long. (laughs) That's that's the funny thing is I don't notice because, you know, given that everything is online these days, I just hit skip intro and I get right into it. But yeah. Yeah, that's okay if the skip intro button is there, but half the time it's not. I know. Right. It goes away if you don't get to it quick enough. Uh, That's a good point. That is actually a good point. Given that it's only 24 minutes long, the whole episode, two minutes of that is was that two two minutes, 40. Yeah, it's that's yeah, it's 10 percent of the episode is taken up with with that. So, yeah, that's a good point. That is a. it, it, it's, it's kind of surprising because especially for, for kids programming, you'd think they would want to keep the credits as short as possible. To let the but... kids get into it, <laughs> the show. Yeah, exactly. Get distracted. Yeah, that's true. Um, now, speak, speaking of, of credits, you know, the, the title itself, you know, I, I when I saw the title was going to be Dreamcatcher, my first thought was, of course, the Native American object known as a Dreamcatcher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, which is which is a, a protective charm that is very traditional to some tribes. And so I thought, oh, this is the Chicote episode. This is where we're going to find Chicote. Oh, yeah, you know, because it just and it was, and of course, it's like they, they. I would. My first thought was they wouldn't be stupid enough to do that because, of course, that's one of the most controversial issues of Chicote's characters: how Native American spirituality was abused in Voyager. Right. Uh, but then it's like this is the Star Trek people. Of course, <laughs> they would be stupid enough to do this. <laughs> well, apparently they didn't. They didn't do it. Uh, I guess the dream catcher, and by the way, that you'll see this written different ways out there. And, and Paramount itself has sometimes made it one word and sometimes two words. I'm not sure that matters as a difference, but no. uh, but uh, apparently the dream catcher in this case is the planet, the planet itself. Planet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, obviously it's yeah. catching their dreams and using them against them. Which yep. is a which is a a a common trope and trope is is not a negative. It's a common feature of a lot of children's shows because children have dreams and sometimes those dreams involve things that they really want. And so it's often a, um, the moral is be careful what you wish for. You know, that's Mm -hmm. sort of played out in that, in that sort of thing, or, you know, be careful of things that seem too good to be true often are. And that's, I think that's kind of what we're, well, clearly that's getting okay. Hansel and Gretel right there. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yes. A house made of uh, candy. Um, yeah. So. So they go to this planet in the Herogen system and yeah. we have a name drop of the Herogen from the original Voyager series who were one yep. of the alien antagonist races they encountered. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised that there's an M-class uninhabited world in the Herogen system because the Herogen were a spacefaring civilization. 
you would expect there to be colonies and satellites and weed killer on this planet. Um, Except for the fact that clearly the planet itself is the the organism and there's weed weed killer would kill the entire planet and the planet would just be a desolate rock. And the Hirogen are an intelligent race and so they would have killed the hostile native infested planet life form, I would think. Um, Janeway, though, says that they've detected psyllium-like vegetation on it. And I'm going, really? Psyllium? I mean, my first thought was psyllium, the the class of plantago, plantain vegetable vegetation that we get psyllium husk, the dietary fiber and soup thickener from. (laughs) Hmm. Um, but then no, they didn't mean that. They meant um psyllium as in the Latin word for eyelash, uh, mm-hmm. which and cilia psyllium uh, is an organelle of eukaryotic cells that looks like an eyelash, hence the vines we encounter on the planet. So vine-based yep. plants is what you yeah. meant to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was surprised that they would go anywhere near the Herogen system. I mean, that just would seem like a bad idea that that you know Hollow Janeway would say, Oh, by the way. The Herogen are a very dangerous species that we should take say far yeah. away from. Uh, but she takes them right to the, the that system. Uh, they don't run into any as yet, but it's kind of interesting. I wanted to talk a little bit about Hollow Janeway. You know, mm-hmm. she's teaching the kids how to operate the ship. She still thinks they're cadets, but does she? Does the does the the hologram has it fallen for the obvious? lie that they're that they're actually cadets i mean is it that dumb or is this hologram kind of playing a long game what do you what do you guys uh, think is going on I, I i have a feeling they're they're gonna have some point that it's you know they're, they're, the kids are gonna have to admit yes we're not really cadets we're escapees from this prison planet and she'll go i figured something else was going on right. i mean it, 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 i think they're gonna be just that simple of yes i i realize you're not actually cadets but you want to play that game that's fine we can play it Okay, they may go that way, but if they do, I think they'll. De- I think one way or another, they're definitely going to build it up as a crisis point where they have to confess. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's that seems to be the way that they're structuring these episodes too. Is this these building up these crisis points where they have to make a moral choice and make a decision to go the the good path or the bad path, and and they mm-hmm. keep doing that, uh, which is again common for for children's programming. Um, but by the way, speaking of Hollow Janeway, did either of y'all notice that when they're leaving the ship and Rock says, aren't you coming with us? Janeway says holograms can't leave the ship using the plural. Yep. There may be more than one hologram the ship is capable of generating. Exactly. Right, right. Uh, although the doctor had its emitter, so that was that was well, something he could the, do. Yeah, but that's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making right. is she used the, the plural. Holograms cannot leave the ship. Oh, right. I so are we going to see? Are we going to see that the original crew of the Protostar in holograms at some point, like Chakotay and some of these other orders that are Robert Picardo is the doctor, or which would be awesome. That yeah. would be kind of awesome. What do you think of uh, Hollow Janeway? compared to the real Janeway does she act like her does she is this does this seem like Janeway her voice apart sounds from older. the voice yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say apart from the voice but but is this I, well, how you would expect I mean, Janeway to act she, as a as a as a not fully human being training instruction program sure okay yeah 
I mean, it's, I mean she's got I don't her coffee ex- mug. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't expect her to to be exact. I mean, they wrote Kate Mulgrew differently in different episodes to begin with, yeah. and I don't expect her to be an exact representation of Janeway. I expect her to be an artificial, you know, simplified version that conveys the flavor of Janeway. Sure, sure. I get that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't expect it to to be the same, but I was just kind of curious what you guys thought of this hollow Janeway as a character uh in the, you know compared to the real Janeway. Um so they they get to this planet and we have an interesting they're going to do this away mission and there's this interesting moment where instead of beaming down, which is what Star Trek is all about, they just as a matter of course land the ship. So the ship took mm-hmm. off from that original mining planet and it's landing on this planet. Uh, what do you think of this idea of like we're going to be regularly uh, landing instead, perhaps instead of beaming? Uh, any thoughts on that as as a plot point? Well, from a writing perspective, it makes it more dramatic if they have mm-hmm. to land and if they don't have beaming technology available to them. I assume they do have beaming technology, but mm-hmm. why they're not. I mean, in this episode, if they had used beaming technology, we wouldn't have the ending that we did. And that's what they were going for. Right. So whether they'll introduce beaming technology in the future, I don't know. I could see from a writing perspective, there would be an argument against it because it will make the series more dramatic if they're landing and if they don't have magical transporters, they're constantly using. Um, On the other hand, given what they've established about the level of Starfleet technology, unless unless they do something to break the transporters... Mm-hmm. irreparably there is no way reason they shouldn't have them and and you can make an argument that you know this was part of their training and all that you know yeah. to, to you know to land to learn how to land the, the craft and everything but yeah at some point we're going to have the transporters come in just like we've got a, a shuttle craft of course it's the damaged one that rock broke yeah. her way out of but I, I like that they kept that that they, there was a little continuity from there that it wasn't just a fully functional shuttlecraft in the in the bay that had been replicated, but it's the same one that broke last time yep. that, uh, that they're in. Uh, Father Craig, you sent me a link this week to a Reddit thread that kind of discussed the relative size of the protostar compared to right. other ships we know. So it's smaller right. than the Voyager Voyager, and bigger than both Defiant and the Equinox from the Equinox right. Voyager ship. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I, I got, got a kick out. The reason why I sent it to, to Dom, because I got a kick out of the, uh, uh, the measurement unit of measurement to fi- try to figure out the ship one Janeway. Yes. You know, the, so the, of course it, mm-hmm. it's, it's canon how tall Janeway was, I think 1.65 meters. And so they were able to use one shot where you can see the entire uh, view screen or the entire windshield, I guess you can call it, and then measure how many Janeways it was. <laughs> so yeah. it reminds me of the Smoot as a, a unit of measurement, which is famous here in Boston at MIT decades ago like in the 50s or 60s there was a guy whose last name was smoot and they used they measured uh the mass ave bridge from cambridge to boston in smoots and you can go there now and see it the markings on the bridge one smoot <laughs> so it kind of can remind me of that hmm. um so let's talk about in, in this episode one of the things that kind of comes across is dell is kind of a jerk <laughs> to the other yep. guys. Mm. It, he's bossy. He makes the decisions for everyone. Um, and it, at one point when Gwyn asks him, hey, what about that? Under different circumstances, we could have been friends, you know, when he's leaving her in the brig. He's just like flipping and sarcastic toward her. 
Well, that's part of what they're doing over the course of this series. They're having these kids start out at, at odds with each other. And over the course of time, they will grow and mature and form bonds. Yeah. Yeah. He's a flawed character that will grow, basically. Yeah. And and I guess to be fair, although, yeah, the way that Dal did it was, was you know overly sarcastic. But Gwyn wasn't exactly, you know, standing up for them when they were in, you know, basically in a prison. Right. literally in a prison as as minors and she was living the life as the daughter of the the head guy and now she kind of expects that they're going to be lenient on her right right yeah i mean she's and, gonna betray them at the first opportunity it, well yeah. exactly she's she's like totally been adricking these people <laughs> mm-hmm. oh yeah right. Right. I got to say, I really like that sword, the mel- the uh, melty sword thingy she's got mm-hmm. as a plot device. That is pretty good. And, and it turns out she's got a telepathic link to it. So she can she can presumably machine telepathy, mm-hmm. uh, right. but she's got a telepathic link to it and can control it at a distance, which hmm, she uh, she could have done some of that before now. Yes. I mean, she could if she was really ruthless, she could have sent it through them, the rest of them. And then let yeah. herself out uh, and, and didn't. So th- there's, yeah. there's hope for her. We also find out that um, there's so when she escapes while they're off the ship and she knows how to use lots of stuff on the protostar, she has this self-revelation of this is why my father has been training me in linguistics and computer technology and all mm-hmm. this stuff. It's so I would know how to use this ship that he's turns out he's obsessed with. So he was preparing me for this without even knowing it. And right. then when she reprograms Janeway and Janeway is totally, you know, on her side, not evil, mm-hmm. but just mm-hmm. flipped sides. That is, uh, that is scary. That is, that is effective, you know? Right. right. I, I, I like the, I like the way they do that too, is, you know, this is a, a ship is, Property of the United Federation of, and it's all yours. Yeah, right. <laughs> Where do you want to go? That which it shows the the potential flaw of a programmable crew member. You know that idea mm-hmm. that you just reprogram it and it's now yours. Oh, like they haven't had mind control plots on Star Trek before. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and we've also seen the Doctor get reprogrammed in the past and taken over. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Also, the um, uh, even though Janeway is now serving her she's still like when when um when gwen wants to leave she's like starfleet officers do not abandon their crews yeah and so she's still got her starfleet ethics even though she's now programmed to obey gwen's Mm -hmm. orders Mm -hmm. interesting murph there as a character when gwen is sitting in her brig in the brig by herself and murph is there she says you know, you're smarter than you look. And then he goes off chasing the little robot uh, or not. And what was it about? What was it about Murph that she was seeing there? Do you think? Well, I think she was contemplating what is obvious from the writing that at some point Murph is going to turn out to be smarter, is very likely to turn out to be smarter Mm -hmm. than he appears because he appears to have roughly dog level intelligence. Yeah. But, but why is he, uh, he's not portrayed, He's portrayed in a way that suggests he's more than that. And right. so she's picking up on that. But then he reverts to dog like behavior, which could be part of his evil plot cake. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, and and but I do like at the end when she's crashed the shuttlecraft and she's hold she number one, she stayed to get Murph. Yes. Yep. To protect him. And and when uh, they open up the hatch and and reveal Gwen and Murph sitting in the wrecked shuttlecraft, Murph is whimpering kind of like a little dog. And it's very yeah. cute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she's like kind of holding and protecting him. Which yeah. Is, which right. is. It's just a little bit well, of her personality. And what I wonder, too, is, you know, they, they've they've revealed that she is has some telepa- telepa- telepathic capabilities, both being able to block, but also, um, uh, again, to be able to control that device, that that the sword. So I wonder if there is something there, too, where, where she's able to sense that Murph has more going on up there than he shows. Mm. And of course, he could just be this is how his species acts as a five year old kid. Right, you right. know, you could just be a kid. Um, so it's interesting when they first land. They, it seems to be the the first experience on a green habitable planet for most of them, an M class planet, mm-hmm. at least for Dell. But I think for most of them, they talk about about it that way. So I, I like Dell's original line. It's like, oh no, M no M no M class planets, only A class planets for us. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it kind of highlights that we use a Vulcan classification system to uh, to classify our planets. Sort of arbitrary. Um, I have to say, I like the runaway, which is the uh, the dune buggy that uh, mm-hmm. yep. Jamie gives them, uh, and Dell takes off on his own. You know, the the lesson, the moral of today's episode: look out for one another, and look what happens when you don't. They all go off in their separate yep. directions, um, unlike a if you know a Starfleet crew would have stayed together and still had the same problems, I suppose. But <laughs> yeah. well, it's, it's sort of like okay, we've seen this before. This is just the episode shore leave, except the shore leave planet wants to eat you. Right. Yeah. Yes. This is shore leave. Rather than entertain you, it wants to eat you. Um, well, it wants to entertain you first, then it oh, wants yeah. to eat you. Yes. So it's show and a dinner instead of dinner and a show. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking speaking of show, they have the show don't tell problem here uh, with Dal when he goes off and he finds his parents or he thinks is his parents. Yeah. And of course, they're talking about, you know, he realizes very quickly that it's not his parents. It's not the Janeway hologram that's out there, but that the planet is the problem. And of course, then they have to say, oh, you're smarter than, you you know, kind of this, you're smarter than you look type. Right. You're too smart for your own good. And of course, they really haven't shown him other than, you know, just having kind of the bravado and, and arrogance, but they haven't really shown him having the intelligence. I like the fact that the kids figure this one out and solve the major problem for themselves. Um, yep. Instead of Janeway swooping in to give them the answer like she did an episode or two ago. Yeah. Um, I like that they, they go encounter genuine danger on a planet and save each other. And would have been just absolutely fine if Gwen hadn't gotten gone all dark side on them. Right. So uh, briefly, the 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 things that they desired, their hearts desired, you know, was Rock sees cre- cute little creatures who love her that she gets to play with. Um, Zero is in, in enamored of a mystery, so apparently he loves the, a maze, and and at the heart of the maze is the mystery of what the drive the secret drive on besides warp drive on the protostar is this drive which is just the writers reminding us that thing is there for the future yeah uh we mentioned dal and his parents who he doesn't remember what they look like so we only ever see them from the back 
Yeah, I like we don't see their faces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Jankum sees a Tellarite uh, home with a pot of it, Tellarite stew. It, it looked like an elf home to me, but it did <laughs> yeah. have stew in it, yeah. and that was what he was most interested in. Yeah, he was. He, he as he walks out of the ship, he, he comments that he's hungry. Uh, one thing that um, Jankum drops is just real quick is that we find out that he ended up in the Delta Quadrant as part of a sleeper ship, a Tellarite sleeper right. ship. Right. You know, so hmm. he was a colony ship basically from Tellar from Tellar hmm. is how he ended up there. So we know yeah. he didn't show up on the protostar because that's one thing we, we kind of questioned is how, you know, how did these Alpha Quadrant races get there? You know, did they come in on the Tellarite on the on the, the protostar? Were their families the original crew of the protostar? Well, obviously, in his case, he's not. Mm, that's true. Um, I, the one little flaw, uh, he's wearing a, an environmental suit because, you know, he's afraid of the environment. So how and, does he... And I, I wanted to compliment that, actually, because, um, because just because your sensors say you can breathe the air doesn't mean yeah. you know everything about this environment. Which presumably you haven't scanned every microorganism that could be a pathogen. Yeah. yeah. And so actually keeping your suit on would make a lot of sense. I mean, Galaxy Quest shows that perfectly. I mean, you know, they, they land on the planet and don't open that. It could be poisonous. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not an effective environmental suit since you can smell things. Well, and, and spores can I, get in it. it. it that was part of the illusion by the planet in my, I thought it was there. Say, cause, cause yeah, yeah, he wouldn't be able to smell it, but the planet was, you know, he was getting that sense of smell as part of his illusion. Right. Cause the planet is clearly telepathic. That's how it's pulling out their deepest desires. So if it's a, if it's a passive telepath that can receive information, it, it may be an active telepath that can probe and project mm sensations into a person in fact yeah. it, it would seem that that's the case otherwise how does it generate the illusions that people are seeing if it can generate visual illusions for everybody else it should be able to generate olfactory illusions for jankum right they do mention at one point spores but i guess that's mm-hmm. might might yeah, also really be spores and tele- telepathy yeah. yeah but they really didn't show it but um you know, I mean, not just sense of smell, sense of touch. You know, Rock is feeling these animals kiss her. You know, mm-hmm. she says, oh, yeah. their, their kisses are so wet. Right. You know, and that's that's a you know, sense of touch. So all the senses can be affected by sound, of course, too, and things like that. So all the senses can be affected by this. So it would make sense that, yeah, he's in his suit, which means he shouldn't smell anything except whatever the filtered air in the suit smells like. Right. But all of a sudden he smells this stew. He smells the gas. That he, you know, of course, they have to have the fart joke, whereas he's walking to get the, <laughs> he, he, you know, the gas spouting up. He even comments on how, like, how is this possible? That shouldn't be possible or something. Right, right, right. And and we do get, and I didn't, I to me, that was ambiguous, where he's encountering the green gas that smells funny. I don't, because they don't say what it smells like. I wasn't sure if that was a fart joke or not, but we did get a fart joke, joke earlier. Yep. And where Janeway's given them their tricorders and zero detects a gaseous emission and Jankum says that was me. And it's like, thank you for understating it. If you're going to do fart jokes, yeah, thank you for not playing the sounds of farting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they do it later with the, the green gas, which makes the and, weird farty sort of sound. But and and, and every, every kid from about the age of five to 50 laughed at that. So yeah, right, right. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I, I'm not a fan of fart jokes in any form. <laughs> so um 
yeah. The, so the end of the episode, mm-hmm. the protostar kind of crashes. I mean, it yep. it is and. And this is uh, this is not really realistic. If you have antimatter engines that can fling you through space faster than light, vines should not hold you down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it should be able to uh, break through the vines, throw up your shields, use phasers. I mean, there there are all kinds of things that the that the hologen we should have been able to at least tell them about, you know, as ideas. Um, so. We have this. Also, we forgot to mention that uh, Gwyn uh, signaled her father to come pick her up and pick up the protostar. So he's apparently on the way. Right. Um. And but then she sees the uh, hallucination of her father of the the diviner, and uh, it's his fatherliness toward her that is is the clue that helps her realize. That's not really her father, which is kind of right. both sad and and revealing. At Real the same time. dad is apparently not into hugging. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and one one thing going back to the crash of the ship, you know, remember we are on a planet that is telepathic. Oh, so did the ship actually crash? You know, I mean, and and you can see smoke and everything, but again, this is this, this planet is obviously able to trick their senses to mm-hmm. begin with. Yeah. Um. Good point. So. So, I mean, that, that's, 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 again, a trope, too, of, oh, we, you know, we saw our ship crash and know the ship is actually sitting there behind a, a force shield or a telepathic screen or right. whatever, whatever, whatever. So, I mean, it's possible, too, that the ship didn't actually crash, but that it did land somewhere else. I mean, they could have done that. They, you know, there, I mean, there's so many things they could have done. Yeah, the leap to you've stranded us may be an appropriate kid logic leap, but really, okay, the ship is on the other side of that hill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it could be just fine. Yeah. Um, my guess is that, you know, three episodes in, they're not getting rid of their brand new ship that is in the credits. It's it's still going to be there for the, the excessively years. long interminable credits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, so any before we I want to talk about the future schedule for the rest of the season of Prodigy in a second that we, we found out about. But any more thoughts on Dreamcatcher, uh, Father Corey? The one one thing you know we we talked before about rock talk you know her, her, her sounds like a kid well actually she is the yeah. the mm-hmm. actress who is voicing her is a ten year old kid wow yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's it's pretty impressive actually so yeah she's this is one of those cases you know a lot of times kids in TV and this isn't just Star Trek this is all TV they're actually played by much older oh yeah actors Bart you know. Bart Simpson is like. I don't know, 50, 60 years old. Well, Cirque Lofton, <laughs> Cirque Lofton was an adult when he was playing Jake Sisko. Yeah. So, I mean, the, 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 you know, it's, this is one case where the actress, actor is actually playing a character of her age or pretty close to it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's, that's fairly impressive, actually. So that comes yeah. across, I think, pretty well. It really fits the character well. Back the, in the 1930s there were and 40s, there were lots of movies about young people that were... Uh, clearly being played by like you know Andy Rooney movies and stuff that were clearly mm-hmm. being played by actors that were in at least their 30s <laughs> and and they once made fun of that on Mystery Science Theater 3000 where they were watching such a movie and then during one of the host segments they had a bunch of uh had a bunch of screen caps from the movie and we're talking about the old school where <laughs> <laughs> where all the teenagers are old Oh yeah. yeah. Well, the then, other- one's oh, sorry. Uh, and then one scene I got a kick out of was um, 
uh, you know, they're, they're getting the tricorders and the phasers. And of course, they've upgraded the tricorders and the phasers. You know, they're, they're more more futuristic again. And Jankum stuns himself. Good, <laughs> great way to introduce the fact that phasers default to stun. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I want to mention, like, talking about the age of the actors. So the other actors are all in their 20s, except for the actor who plays Jankum, uh, Jason Mansukis, is 48. Which is, yeah. I think he's dramatically well, older than everybody else. Uh, but, and, and of course, yeah. Kate Mulgrew is much older than twenty, so yeah, we won't yeah. say that old. But yeah, the uh, the uh, uh, Brett Gray is in his twenties. Angus Imry, who plays Zero, is, and Ella Purnell plays Gwyn. They're all in their twenties. So interesting. Jimmy, any other thoughts? Yeah. So I wanted to talk about the planet they're on. Um, mm-hmm. First mm-hmm. of all, my hypothesis is that this is a version of Arrakis that has been transported between <laughs> dimensions because when they land on it, it clearly has petrified sandworms all over the place that have been petrified in mid leap. Ah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, even though it's a CGI planet, Vasquez Rocks is there, even on the CGI <laughs> planet. Um, and in general, I really like the uh, the alien planet surface. It's very well done. It is more fantastic and more visually interesting than what they could do in a live action series. And so it's nice to see them exploit that potential and give us a really interesting alien environment to look at or set of alien environments to look at. Mm. Yeah, uh, just to, for those who don't remember, Vasquez Rocks is a place in Southern California where lots of scenes from Star Trek have been filmed, in, most recently in the Picard series, but also we in Shore Leave. Most, most yeah. famously in the Gorn episode, it's where Kirk fights the Gorn. Right, right. And I have been there. I took a road trip up up to Vasquez Rocks. It's outside Los Angeles, and, and it's fun to go there and stand where all that stuff happened and look at it from different angles. And it's like, oh, in, I can see in this episode they showed it from this angle, but in this other episode mm-hmm. they showed it from this other angle. <laughs> and also watch out for rattlers while you're there. They have signs up warning you about them. Yes, right. yes. So uh, so that's Dreamcatcher. Uh, before we move on to feedback, I want to talk a little bit about the schedule for Prodigy. We've, we found out more about uh, how the Paramount Plus is going to be airing it. So we're going to have this was the uh, fourth episode. Fourth. Yeah. So it's technically the fourth episode because the first episode was a two parter. That right. was just yeah. aired as one third week to air. Right. Right. So. We're apparently we're only going to get one more week, one more episode of mm-hmm. Prodigy. Then Aww. they're going to they're going to take a break for uh for Discovery season four, and yeah. then in, in January, yeah. uh, Prodigy will come back for another set of five, <laughs> and then presumably at some later point, perhaps after Picard season two, we'll get the rest of ten episodes of Prodigy. Uh, and whatever else comes after that. So it's, and it's also been picked up for a second season. I've, they also mm-hmm. announced that. So um, yeah. after next and, week, and so, we'll be going back to talking about some other non, yeah. uh, um, some of the not older a discovery, seasons, but not discovery. Right. Not discovery. Cause not discovery this, this season Thursday, four. this Thursday, the 18th is going to be again, the fifth episode, uh, fourth, airing of prodigy mm-hmm. and the first episode of discovery season four. So that's why they're doing it that way. Right. And as we discussed, we're not going to be doing an episode by episode of prodigy of, of discovery season four. Uh, we may come back to talk about it as a whole at some point down the line, but uh, we're not going to do that now. Uh, we'll, we'll be because back- we love you. 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> we want to submit some. And we, we, you and we, are us and we to like, that. <laughs> and we like our sanity. <laughs> so that's what's coming up. Uh, I promised you some listener feedback, so let's get to that now. You did, and it's time to pay that off. I have to pay off yep. my promises. I always do. So our first feedback is from K.A. Maximilian K. on Twitter, who wrote, I'm listening to SQPN's newest Secrets of Star Trek, and I'm going to have to disagree with Jimmy on this one for how woke it has the potential to be, mainly because it's Nickelodeon and mainly due to Blue's Clues, which is younger than 7 Plus and has definitely had some woke lately, and The Loud House. That being said, though, just because it can have that doesn't mean it will. So I will remain cautiously optimistic as SQPN's analysis and opinion of Lower Decks is what got me to try that as well. Keep up the good work, though, everyone. So um, I try to phrase myself very carefully. And what I said was that it should be tamped down. We shouldn't have to deal Mm -hmm. with as much wokeness as we do on other things and that remains true yeah um i recognize that they do and have for a while been putting woke stuff into children's television but in a low-keyer way than with adult television and i already see the woke stuff in this i mean it is clearly there but it is played I, i can think i mean of the main characters um at least Four of them have woke elements built mm. into them, but they're playing it. They're playing it low key. And yeah, that's yeah. that's my that was my point that we shouldn't have it to worry about being totally in your face the way it is in Discovery. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <coughs> Discovery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And uh, yeah, I am still remaining cautiously optimistic as well. It's been good so far. So I'm, I'm looking yeah, forward to more it's been fun. All right. Thank you, K.A. Maximilian K. Our next feedback comes from Chris Buckley via email. He says, uh, this is in reference to our discussion of Star Trek, the J.J. Abrams uh, reboot uh, and Grand Canyons in the middle of Iowa. He says, uh, I'm stunned by your callous ignorance of the Zindi incident of 2153. The tragic human cost of this unprovoked attack left scars across North America that all Federation members mourn along with the people of Earth to this day. Regardless of which timeline you inhabit, a moment of silence is in order for the thousands of lives lost in this pivotal <laughs> moment of Federation history. It is. And in in remembering the Zindi incident on Zindi Day, we also need to be careful to remember precisely who suffered. Mm. It was the there is now a Grand Canyon in Florida and up the East yep. Coast, but still not in Iowa. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. There is a there is a wide gap between Florida and Iowa <laughs> in many ways. <laughs> but thank you. And don't forget to put up your Zindi Day decorations. Yes, that's yep. right. That's right. Uh, Joe sent an email. Great shows on an interesting new series. I liked Jimmy's characterization of this show as the most Star Wars like Star Trek series. Two quick things I noticed. Gwyn's species reminds me strongly of Jayla's species from Star Trek 2009. Likewise, the Rev 12 reminds me strongly of the Narada from that same movie. I wonder if there's any connection, particularly with the Divergent Timelines model of the new movies. Keep up the good work and may the force be, I mean, live long and prosper. Uh, so, uh, Joe, one, th- one thing I want to point out. So Jayla was from Star Trek Beyond, which was the second uh, reboot movie, third, third reboot movie. Third. But third, it's an interesting yeah. connection. They might yeah. be the same race. They could be. This is very, mm-hmm. this is very similar. Uh, and the uh, the Narada front was the original J.J. Uh, Abrams reboot movie, uh, but that was Romulan. So it 
I mean, it doesn't mean it can't be connected, but uh, just to point out. Uh, but thank you, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thomas Salerno uh, left a comment on our YouTube channel, SQPN's YouTube channel. He wrote, Hi, Dom, Father Corey, and Jimmy. Thanks for covering this new show. I'm only an occasional Star Trek viewer. In fact, my first memorable exposure to Star Trek was Enterprise. I watched it on the Sci-Fi channel as a teenager. <laughs> I've now seen most of TOS and a bit of DS9, but I've never been able to get into Trek as much as other science fiction series. Prodigy caught my eye due to its superficial similarity to the Star Wars animated shows that I love, so I watched the first episode and I really enjoyed it. This seems like the kind of fun space adventure series that I can really get behind. I'm looking forward to your future Prodigy reviews. Thanks, Thomas. Yeah, and I'm I'm not surprised that you may have had a shakier introduction, uh, you know, to Star Trek, given that you started with Enterprise, which was one of the two shakiest shows before the modern era mm-hmm. where we've had even we've had positively, you know, uh, nine on the Richter scale shakiness. <laughs> um, but uh, but um, but there is good stuff back there and keep checking out the original series and also next gen at least from season three or four onward and deep space nine from season three or so onward yeah yeah definitely once you get into season two of ds9 it it starts picking up the pace but yeah don't don't judge star trek by first seasons (laughs) definitely one one thing i will say at least with we can give credit to the modern modern series of star trek is they've gotten rid of the first season awkwardness yeah, if they're going to be don't bad, see that. The, you can tell from the first yeah. season. Yeah. <laughs> well, Discovery was bad from the beginning. Lower Decks was great from the beginning. This is turning out pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I've been enjoying this. It's been a lot of fun. So, yeah, they, they've got rid of first season shakiness, at least. Discovery season two, I still maintain, was good. I liked Discovery yeah. season two. But yeah, you're right. It, and not, then it so regressed good. to the mean. Yes. Well, we, we. what's the difference? We strange new worlds will be good <laughs> let's put it that way yeah. that's my hope uh it's going to be captain pike was what made season two good all right but uh welcome aboard thomas uh we 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 uh welcome you among the trekkies all right that's it for our feedback we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of star trek including Kristen r deacon greg w nancy k john s and hans g their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. We would love to hear from you what you think of Dreamcatcher. Let us this third episode of Prodigy's uh, first season. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Prodigy. So until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Tom. And Jimmy Aitken, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, look out for each other. <laughs>